Wednesday, July 17th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool 1, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argersinger. Happy Wednesday, gentlemen. The hump day. Hump, the hump day. Over the hump. Earnings season in, in full gear, so we will talk earnings from Yahoo, Mattel, Bank of America. Uh, Google just made the battle for the living room a little more interesting, and PayPal, PayPal I should say, um, uh, made a clerical error. <laughs> we will get to that. Uh, let's start with Yahoo. Second quarter earnings up 42%. They missed on revenue, though, Jason, and uh, a drop in advertising is, is getting the blame there. But uh, some are calling a mixed bag, but I think if nothing else, you look at shares up a little bit this morning. Uh, this this caps a, a heck of a rookie year for Marissa Mayer. Yeah, I mean, I think the the market is extending uh, Marissa Mayer a a little bit more time, a little bit more leeway to kind of get this turnaround actually turned around. I mean, it, obviously, some concerns there with the core business and advertising, as as it looked like most of the the results were attributable to the Alibaba to their stake in Alibaba. Um, now, with that said, I, I mean, I think that when you when you look at what Meyer's done to date. I mean, she certainly has done a lot of good things. She's taken a lot of good steps, I think, to really uh, to, to sort of change the attitude there, to change the culture, to get things going in a good direction. She speaks of this chain reaction, which I, you know, in, in logically speaking, it makes a lot of sense. But you build the team that makes the products, which will increase the traffic, which increases ad spending, and that grows their sales. And so that's the chain reaction that they're kind of trying to to employ here, and they're they're doing it by going through what they call sprints. You know, it's like one focus, complete that task, then an, then another focus and complete that task. Uh, and so it's all sort of this this mobile and personalization uh, movement, which I think is really what they're focusing hard on. And, I, you know, search is something that they're they're always going to, I think, have some market share there. But but the fact of the matter is that while the search market grew, uh, Yahoo's share of that search market has fallen a little bit. And so they have lost a little bit of market share there, which is concerning. But I do believe that for them, the solution is that, you know, for, for the for Yahoo to gain shares in search, they basically need to really build out that environment. Those new apps that they're coming out with, whether it's weather or sports or their new mail app, they continue to build those solid mobile apps where they can keep people in that universe. And then search is just sort of a, a natural extension of people being in that Yahoo universe to begin with. And so the more compelling they can make their mobile offerings, the more personalized they can make those mobile offerings, I think that you'll see search benefit from that. Now it's a matter of whether they can actually pull it off or not. But as, as someone who has downloaded a number of their new apps, I mean, I think they're on the right on the right track, and so I'm still encouraged. This is it's going to be a long time, I think, before Yahoo's a revenue and earnings story again. I, I think Marissa Myers, her job, and everyone's job at, at Yahoo is to make it more relevant, and and that's that's her focus. And I think you're right. You mentioned you know their sports, their weather, their news, their home site, which is which is popular. I mean. Yahoo is still very much a huge player in um, in in online ads. I mean, and if you look at the their unique visitors to Yahoo sites, they they had 192 million unique visitors in May. That is just less than a million behind Google, right? And much than 50 million, almost 50 million more than Facebook. And so Yahoo is very relevant. It's all about just making that experience, as, as Jason mentioned, more richer, more personalized. And if that happens. The revenue and earnings are going to take care of themselves. One thing I saw that was pretty cool, and I mean, it'll, it'll be some time, I think, before we ever actually see if this works out, but they were talking about so this acquisition of Tumblr. That was the big yeah. the big acquisition, and, and um, you know, we're not going to see really any monetization from that, I think, for a little while, 
given the fact that Tumblr doesn't make all that much money at this point in the game. Right. But uh, they, she, she did refer to it a couple points in the call where there is the potential for that content from Tumblr to enrich that, that Yahoo environment. So I think that it'll be interesting to see if they're able to really – to, to sort of gather some additional uh, content that, that really makes that, that Yahoo experience uh, more enjoyable for, for, for many. That, that'll kind of be one of the things we'll have to see is, is over time if that, yeah, if that t- uh, Tumblr acquisition actually pays off. The stock is up coming into today's trading session, up 72% uh, in her first year. It's at a five-year high. Does it Look like a good value at this point. Is it pricey at this point? It it seems it, if I'm reading the between the lines of what you're saying, it seems like the underlying business is not quite there to justify this kind of additional run up. And certainly, I'm I'm just guessing uh, anyone who looks at this stock and thinks, "Wow, the the year two will be just as good for the stock as year one." <laughs> I'm call um, you Chris Reed between the lines, Hill. You that, are spot on. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're right there. I mean, I th- I feel like there's a lot lot of optimism baked, baked into the stock, and I I think that it's it's for good reason. I think that Myers really shifted the attitude there. Uh, but with that said, there's not enough. Uh, there not enough substance there yet for me to really feel like this is a worthwhile investment, but it is a really fun one to follow, and it probably will make a wonderful case study one day. It, you know, it's a thirty billion dollar company. More actually now today uh, after the rise, I, I look at that. You know, it's a tenth the size of Google. Yet, you know, I, I, when people think about the relevant sort of platforms or, or services online, you know, Yahoo's like a, always in the, the top five. You know, and I just feel like. I usually don't like to argue with the market. The market has obviously said, hey, we like what, where Yahoo's going. I know Alibaba's a big part of that story. Yep. Um, and they're going to get you know a lot of money from that uh, if Alibaba um, comes public. But it just, it just makes me think that the market might be onto something here. Yahoo could be going higher. I, I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I could say it could be a market beater, even from today's price. Bank of America's second quarter profit rose 63%, uh, improved income from trading, investment banking, lending. Uh, and yet, uh, not surprisingly, Matt, as we've talked about before, they are still dealing uh, with the mess from the countrywide acquisition and, and all of the the stuff from uh, mortgages. It's it's a huge overhang. It's going to be there for, for a long time. They, they got here by doing what a lot of the banks have done, which is cut costs, closing a lot of branches, um, you know, uh, firing a lot of employees over the past mu- uh, year. Uh, with with Bank of America, with all these banks, with Goldman Sachs, you know, they, there's, they're engaged in a lot of different businesses. But to me, it really comes down to, for Bank of America in particular, it comes down to traditional banking. And that mortgage part of their business is still struggling, although they've written a lot of mortgages, new mortgages, um, recently over the past year. That should, those should pay off down the road, assuming you know there's not a huge increase in uh, interest rates. But I'm worried a little bit about Bank of America because about 80% of their uh, their mortgage business is coming from refis. Interest rates are going up. Right. That really removes any kind of uh, you know predilection on the part of customers to refinance, and so that is going to be a, a bit of a story going forward. I think. Do you think that? I mean. We talk about the mortgage rates and the spike that they've had recently, but you look at it in historical context; they're still pretty low. Oh, yeah. Um, so, is 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 there a chance that the pullback that we have seen over the last few weeks um, dissipates? Is there is there a chance that as we head into the fall and people are done with their summer vacations, that they say, you know what, um, it's still pretty low, so I, I am going to refi. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the I think. 
the new mortgages are going to be fine. And I think people are going to look at this and say, ah, wow, I can still buy a house and, and get a 4.5% mortgage or a 5% mortgage even at the top. And that's still pretty compelling to me. The refis are tricky, though, because I would say you're looking at, you know, you're looking at um, a lot of uh, homeowners out there who, who already have refinanced, you know, maybe at 5% or 4.5%. If, if, if the rate even goes up marginally, I'd say there's really no incentive at, at all to refinance. Yeah, and I think the Freddie Mac data really, really bears that out. I mean, the numbers are coming back. Um, just by virtue of the fact that rates are going up, but I mean, also let's not forget. I mean, the refinancing process, while it's it's nice to be able to do that, I mean, the experience really sucks. <laughs> I mean, it really sucks. You like, speak of you're that you have rest, recent experience with this. I mean, I we refinanced. We had two refis there in the past year, and I mean, it, it just takes up a lot of time in pulling all the documentation. And, and banks and lenders, for the most part, are they're being much more meticulous about that process now because yeah. they really have to. Uh, so I think that once you do it, <laughs> you really want to make it count because I think after that experience, you don't want to do it again. So that, that is something I agree with, Manny, there. I'm very fearful uh, that that will, that will play out on Bank of America's bottom line. And, and let's, I mean, you know, there's, there's talk of sort of reinvigorating Glass-Steagall as well in Congress right now, which, you know, a lot of these banks have really been helped by the investing investment banking side of their business. Yeah. If that gets separated again, you're going to see a lot of, you're going to see a lot of breakups, you know, uh, you're going to see that part of the business was generally considered faster growing yeah. kind of go away. I feel like the countrywide acquisition is going to weigh on Bank of America like new Coke is weighed on Coca-Cola. <laughs> I mean, like 25, 30 2022, years we're, we're still going like, to look back and we're like, God, you remember that countrywide fiasco? <laughs> but unlike the new Coke acquisition, or not acquisition, but unlike the new Coke debacle, that was over. They cut ties with that pretty quickly and went back to sort of the Coke classic. I th- my recollection was that that was maybe a year or two. This is an acquisition that Bank of America made that they are literally still paying billions of dollars to fix. Yeah, Coke won our confidence back pretty quickly. I don't know that Bank of America ever will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, shares of Bank of America at a two-year high. Is it pricey? Is it is it uh, still pretty decent value? Or are given all the questions? Overhanging is it still not worth it? They have been able to do write a lot of great business lately um, since the crisis, um, which is going to pay off. You know, I again, I the market's kind of spoken here. It's at a two-year high. Warren Buffett is still a big investor in Bank of America. I, I think you could do worse in the banking space if you're looking to invest. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> when your bull case involves the phrase "you could do worse." <laughs> Maybe it's time to look. It always do worse. It always do worse. Uh, Mattel's second quarter profits fell twenty four percent, and it is the fourth straight quarter of declining sales for Barbie. And all kidding aside, all the jokes that we have made in the past and will continue to make in the future, uh, Jason, Barbie is big honking business for that company. And when Barbie's not moving off the shelf, it hurts Mattel. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's on the other side of the coin. I mean, they're seeing obviously a great response to their American Girl uh, franchise that's killing it. I mean, I have the solution here. We're heading into the holiday season, this all important six months leading of the holiday season. I mean, it's it seems obvious to me. I mean, it is a Barbie American Girl cage match. <laughs> Two girls enter. Oh. One girl leaves. I mean, you want to talk about creating some buzz going into the holidays. I think that really at least opens people's eyes to. to it's hard to make a joke right now because you're going to, no matter what you say, you're going to come across as yeah, creepy, the creepy guy. Bad. So no, I mean, I in all honesty, anything. though, you look at Mattel. I think it's really it's fascinating to look at these toy companies because on the one hand, toys represent about an eighty-five billion dollar global industry, but on the other hand, you know, we're all like thirty years ago when we were kids, toys had a much longer lifespan. Right, and they played uh, you know roles in our lives for a longer period of time. And I mean, as technology is, has uh, really taken over, 
I mean, kids at four and five now want iPads or iPhones or iPods, and these physical toys are, are really – it's whittling away their lifespan just at a phenomenal pace. And so I think that's where a lot of these toy companies face their biggest challenges in, in you know, figuring out ways to sort of take these toys over to the next realm. And they're doing that. Right. Uh, but it, it's certainly coming at the cost of, of uh, you know, the physical toys themselves, and we're seeing that from Hot Wheels and from Barbie, you know, luckily from Mattel. I mean, they, they run a business – which essentially is just more or less a branding business. I mean, yeah. that's one of the nice things about it. They can stamp that Mattel brand on virtually anything, and it makes money. Um, Monster High, American Girl, still doing really well. But but the the real proof in the, in the success of the business will be seen over the next six months here going into the holiday season. Yeah, Barbie sales were down 12% for the quarter. All other girl brands, Monster High, American Girl, et cetera, were up 23%. So there's a huge disparity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Matt, to Jason's point about sort of the the other platforms, we've talked about how Disney is brilliantly able to leverage Pixar films into not just merchandise, but rides and characters at, at the parks, that sort of thing. And certainly in the case with Monster High, and I'm just basing this on my 10-year-old, um, they have, Mattel's done a wonderful job of leveraging it from the dolls, the physical dolls, to websites, movies, uh, books, etc., um, so it, it seems like they're they're starting to crack the code. That's the key. Uh, and execute against it. Right. I mean, Hasbro has had a lot of success doing that. Um, you know, Hasbro is obviously very similar to Mattel. Lots of, you know, huge, long, you know, historic toy brands. And they've been able to take those to another level. Uh, just And Lego, I mean, you know, I, I saw a report on Lego on Bloomberg the other day about how Lego was actually close to bankruptcy. Yes. Until they found out how to, you know, that all these these little characters that they made, all of a sudden you could put them in TV shows, they could license them to, uh, you know, companies that can make video games out of them. And then all of a sudden it was like people went to those properties, then all of a sudden they, they grew a new affinity for the toys themselves. And so yeah. it's just getting the brand out there and new distribution platforms is key, and then it, it kind of reinforces the demand for the actual toys themselves. You what you go to downtown Disney and that Lego store there. Have you ever been to that? Yeah. Oh my word. I mean it's just wall to wall. It is the, one of the busiest places I've ever seen. We talked yesterday about the story in Business Week about Eddie Lampert, which is a long read, but it is uh, it is a great read about uh, what is happening at Sears, that sort of thing. And to your point, Matt, there have been a couple of uh, sort of long stories that have been written over the past few years about the the comeback of Lego and for anyone who is interested in business and how companies bring them back from the uh, bring themselves back from the brink of disaster uh, get on Google and just it, you can find them online but it really is amazing, amazing how, how uh, that company got turned around uh, Google speaking of Google uh, Google's reportedly approached media companies about licensing their content for an online pay TV service this would be an alternative, obviously, to the current packages that are in an estimated 100 million U.S. homes uh, that people who subscribe to Comcast, Time Warner Cable, that sort of thing. Uh, Google's not confirming anything, uh, uh, but these are reports that uh, are in the Wall Street Journal, in the New York Times. And if you're Comcast or Time Warner, I don't know. I, I, when I was reading this stuff this morning, I, I just had this thought of, I think if I were Comcast, I would be more worried about this than I would about the long rumored Apple TV. I, not that I would bet in that I would I would never dismiss Apple, certainly given their cash hoard, but I, I just look at Google and the potential there 
I don't know. What do you? What did you think when you first saw this story, Jason? Well, I, I mean, I think this is it's encouraging to see. Number one is that whether it's Google or Apple, uh, that these companies are getting in there and trying to to do something to change this to change this environment. I mean, it's a tough nut to crack, no matter which way you look at it, uh, because there there is there's a lot of greed in this industry. Everybody wants a little bit of it, and it's not like you're going to be able to just mitigate or eliminate uh, one entity altogether. Uh, but it's it's that challenge of bringing bringing it into the living room and on demand and when people want it and where they want it. Uh, that's kind of what TV everywhere stands for, and that works to a certain extent if you have a cable subscription. Uh, the little Apple TV device is is getting better and better. We see things like HBO Go now added to that app, and that's encouraging. Uh, Amazon is you know, long rumor here they're coming out with a TV device as well. Looks like Google's going to try to play a part in this. So I think at least we had the right players in the game with your Apples, Amazons, and Googles because they had the deepest pockets and the smartest minds you know, where technology is concerned. I think the cable companies really have a good stranglehold on the industry, but I think that's more uh, through scale and just in just the historical position that they've played. Uh, so I, I like the chances, at least, that, that your Googles and Apples and Amazons will be able to change this this uh, sort of uh, landscape. It's, it's going to be, obviously, a long, a long way to go, but it's it's... Moving, yeah. Well, it's it, consumer. We're after the holy grail, right? I mean, we've got we've got the on-demand TV, and to a certain extent, we've got the on-demand TV shows. But we really want is the on-demand channels. You know, I want to be able to go on whatever platform, whether it's Google, Intel, Apple, whoever's going to crack it, as Jason said. You know, and say, I want these thirty channels on my on my desktop, on my iPad, whenever I want them, and that's that's really all I want. I don't want to pay one hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars a month for this whole package of five thousand channels that. You know, ninety-five percent of which I don't even watch or care about. So, someone I think someone is going to crack this. The problem is you almost have to take like a Michael Porter case study analysis of this industry to determine who you know distributors, content providers, who owns the pipes. I mean, you know, the media companies, and it's it's just an intertangled web of contracts and and as Jason said, greed. And it's almost like a huge spiderweb that you've got to break apart. Um, and eventually it's going to happen, but it's, it, it's really hard to see right now. Well, we talk about uh, various companies that are, have been disruptors and have upended industries. And certainly the cable TV industry seems like it is ripe for disruption. Uh, but, to, but to that point, Matt, you've got to make a really compelling case if you're Google uh, to – Say for example, Disney and ESPN and Disney Channel and that sort. Of, you got to make a really compelling case for them to, um, if uh, if not just altogether cut ties with the cable providers who have been very good to mm-hmm. uh, companies like Disney. Um, but you got to make a really compelling case to, for why they should do business with you. Right. Mm. Uh, um, we will keep our eyes on that one. We will wrap up with Chris Reynolds, a PR executive who lives in Pennsylvania. Um, he also has a PayPal account. And when he got his <laughs> June statement emailed to him, he was surprised to see that he had a, bal- a balance of over $92 quadrillion. Uh, if you're scoring at home, that's 15 zeros, people. <laughs> um, obviously, this was a mistake. Uh, PayPal apologized and uh, offered to donate some money, not 92 quadrillion, but uh, some <laughs> amount of money to the charity of Chris Reynolds' choice. But I, I, can you just imagine what that's like, just staring at that number <laughs> oh and gosh. just trying to get your head around why that amount of money is in your account? Yeah. I, 
it's that, that instantaneous reaction is like, oh my gosh. But then, you know, as a rational person, you start to step back and say, wait, 94, that's like, that's 94,000 trillions. I mean, yeah. there's not enough money. There's not even that money in the world, maybe in the galaxy. That was very admirable what he said he would do with it in paying down the national debt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which he can. I think, I think a lot of, we become Good. very desensitized to these numbers because we hear, you know, with with everything the Fed's doing and just the general economy, these numbers and trillions and and how much that represents per person, and and I think that most people just they get to a point where they can't even they can't even conceive how large a number that is. So why even bother trying to wrap your head around it? <laughs> this just yeah. takes it to another level. But you know, it's uh, as a kid, you know, when you grow up playing Monopoly, you get the the bank error oh, yeah. card. You know, it's I think I forget it's community chest or chance. I've always dreamed like someday I'm going to open my banking statement and there's going to be like a thousand dollars in there and it says bank error in your favor. And sweet. I'm like, yeah, what sweet. Is, what is that amount of money though? It's been a while since I played oh, Monopoly. God. It's not much. Twenty isn't? bucks, it, yeah, fifty it's, bucks. It's like, I, I can't remember. But no, you know, actually, it might be it might be like a hundred bucks. Maybe one of our dozens of listeners knows, but I, I think it might be one of the bigger ones. I'm always excited when I get it. Email us if you know radio at full dot com. Although you know what, there is there it. The thing about that is. It doesn't matter if it's only 20 bucks. It's found money. Yes, it feels great. It's the best money there is. <laughs> there is no equal to found money. If you're, you know, you go through a, a like a winter coat that you haven't worn in months and all of a sudden you oh. find f- five bucks that was yours to begin with, but it's found money. That's so right. You feel like a king. <laughs> Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Rick Engdahl working his wizardry behind the glass today. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Next time.